Welcome back to The Good Play, a podcast about NBC's The Good Place. My name is Brianna, and with me on the line, her eyes are as brown as the brownest crayon. It's my sister, Marissa. Is that... (laughs) I guess that's a compliment? Question mark? Do you also have legs like Jessica Rabbit from that movie? Oh, if only. Honestly, (laughs) if only. (laughs) A lot of the really questionable ways that this guy describes women. So that would be nice if they were true about me. I mean, the the brown is the brownest crayon. It's it's hard to know if that is a compliment or if... Because brown and crayon are, like, not particularly sensual, (laughs) (laughs) you know, words. It's not like, you know, chocolate or something like that. It's it's just like... It's just someone who doesn't know how to write. Right. Yeah. Exactly. It's it's poorly written. Yeah, we're going to get to this book. <laughs> we're going to get to... Uh, What's it called? Death on Par 5? What is it called? Uh, uh, um, six Feet Under Par. Oh, a, chip, a chip driver mystery. Which, if you'll recall, a few weeks ago, we were like talking about the... <laughs> the names the, of the episodes, yeah. And we were like, a chip driver mystery? Like, oh, maybe someone has a microchip, and it's like... <laughs> mystery who has it no it's just a complete and utter nonsense ridiculous thing that happens in this episode before we get to i'm assuming we're we're talking about the halloween episode of (laughs) the fighting temptations temptations. but before we get to that oh okay dang all right a little just you know just a little housekeeping up front you can find us on itunes Google Play and at goodplay.cast.rocks. Please rate and review us on your podcast app of choice. Uh, We're doing a review drive now that we're in season four because we want as many people as possible to find us. We do have one new review, which we're very excited about. So we'll read that at the end of the episode. Thank you so much. Uh, You can also follow and like us on Facebook. There's a great conversation in our Facebook group about gender swapping all of the characters and like which actors would play them. I thought it was fantastic. Um, you can follow us Twitter at the Good Play Pod. Uh, Marissa live tweets every week's new episode, and you can send us an email at thegoodplaypod at gmail dot com. Are we ready to talk about the Fighting Temptations? Yeah, let's do it. I I, I didn't I, catch um uh, you know you 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 do the the most of it, but I just want to put out there that I think I really... saw Bradley Whitford without pants on yeah. and like in a vest, and I was like, what's yeah. happening? Yes, so. <laughs> I don't know. So I, I was more confused than usual <laughs> during this final five minutes of the Fighting Temptations. Uh, um, there was something with a prank. Okay. So mm-hmm. useless ex-husband gets super pranked by his church friends, which involves the overly friendly guy getting pretend stabbed accidentally i saw that yes okay yeah and it was just like oh super prank or whatever and then it's pretty obvious that divorce guy has kind of glommed on to this other couple who kind of just wants to be alone and that's kind of sad and that was all i got out of that but then Mm -hmm. i super didn't understand the final scene with what's her face anna camp anna camp (laughs) Uh, who was working at a bar 
she did something with a, some sort of contest the bar was having. Something, something. It doesn't matter. The point is, Bradley Whitford is there in what looks like a Chippendales outfit after all the pieces have been ripped off. It was very Magic Mike, yes. He was in, like, a tux with the arms ripped off and the pants with the legs ripped off, basically. Uh, And at some point he makes mention of the fact that this was his Carnegie Hall tux that he destroyed for this purpose. So it's like a real oh, tuxedo that. that he destroyed. And he says at some point something about having done some twerking, which disturbed me greatly. There was something going on with Anna Camp getting promoted at work from being like a someone who works at the bar to being like a part-time manager of the bar or something. Hooray for her. But mm-hmm. the, the real disturbing part was Bradley Whitford in a, basically a male stripper's outfit that he had created himself from his Carnegie Hall tux. That's bleak. That's, that's a it bleak. is. That's the real Halloween fright. Is <laughs> like this is your life now. I mean, seriously. I, I mean, I can't wait to see what's it, what's in store for that show. Just the I'm, last five, the last five minutes of each episode. <laughs> Yeah, I, so the hashtag or the, the like little sort of rallying cry for the show for that episode because it was Halloween night was Halabuya. Did you catch this at all? Halabuya? Halabuya. Like Halabuya, oh, but like with Hall- boo. Oh, no. Oh, God. Ooh. Yeah. And Yikes. I saw, yes. Yes. And I think that was the, the, part where the ex-husband gets pranked that was like their Halloween at the church and that was like the name of their Halloween party or something was like the Halabuya party because this... it was at a church and I was like what's happening here? Speaking of bleak it's just this very bleak vision of like a white bread world what fun means inside the most white bread possible world. Right. Like, the, I don't want to live there. The church guy was, did you see this part where the church guy was talking to the little kids about they were going to go bobbing for apples, but because apples I did. are like sinful, they're just going to dunk Which, their by head the way, in some water. <laughs> I don't believe that Christians as a, as a group eschew apples. <laughs> I mean, uh, this is a, you know, just all kinds of like very weird, uh, very weird stereotypes going on here. Yeah, and I and I saw I follow Anna Camp on Twitter, and I saw her tweeting about the show, and she was like, you know, posting pictures of herself all up in the makeup because she's she has like a costume on at the end of the episode, and she was like, yeah, let's do this hashtag Perfect Harmony, hallelujah, and I was just like. It's got to be tough at some level. You know, she's been in enough stuff that's gotten real cl- critical acclaim. Like, and so obviously has Bradley Whitford. It's got to be tough to to be, like, pushing this show uh, so hard when you know it's... it's uh, a garbage. <laughs> I mean, at some level, she's got to understand, right? Like, I don't know. I'm not saying don't be proud of your own work, but oh my goodness. It's, uh... 
Well, at least it has some redeeming qualities, right? I mean, it's not just complete, like, it's not, like, misogynistic, racist. It's not a chip driver mystery. It's not a chip driver mystery. Thank you for that segue. She can at least defend it mentally in her own mind of, like, this isn't doing any harm, right? This is doing nobody any harm. This is... This is garbage, but it's anodyne garbage. <laughs> yes. It's Which not takes a, us a chip driver mystery. Yes. Into this episode of The yes. Good Place. Oh my called goodness. Called a chip driver mystery. I should say a chip driver mystery. That's how you should really pronounce that. A chip driver mystery. Yeah, we're gonna... I can't wait to talk about this book. <laughs> Let's get into it. So this episode has a frame story. <laughs> Which is pretty great. Yeah. The, so the, uh, the the frame story is a uh, Magneto Professor X situation. <laughs> Old friend. Old friend. Where <laughs> Professor X, a.k.a. Michael, has Magneto, a.k.a. Bad Janet, imprisoned inside of Good Janet's void. Uh, and it's like the white featureless void we've seen before. And she seems to be stuck inside... I mean, it really does look like Magneto's prison. (laughs) She seems to be stuck inside, like, a glass and metal sort of enclosure inside the void. Mm -hmm. Except there's, like, homey touches within it. There's, like, a painting of a sunset. Yeah, I didn't notice that. That's funny. So, you you get the idea over the course of the episode that Michael comes to visit her quite often, much like Professor X goes to visit Magneto. And much like uh, Professor X and Magneto, they're debating whether humans should be allowed to, you know, live, more or less. Yeah. Was this all, was this whole show just like Michael Schur's X-Men fan fiction, like AU? <laughs> it was as good as some X-Men properties. <laughs> so yeah, that's maybe. for sure. So Michael says, you know, Bad Janet, it's been six months of my coming to Professor XU and... Uh, you know, I'd like to tell you a story, and he's and she is she's never into anything he's saying. She like farts extravagantly at him <laughs> when he tells her that he wants to, you know, get, tell her a story. Yeah. So we're six. We're now six months into the. Well, we're six months after we caught Bad Janet, which is a little more than six months into the one year experiment. And he starts telling Bad Janet a story that starts four weeks ago. The humans were on a ski trip. They got back. They're all getting along. It's great. And they're doing, you know, they're doing great. And ever, all the Soul Squad is super psyched. And they're saying, you know, Brent is finally making, like, a little bit of progress, even though he's doing it for the wrong reasons. Like, we're doing, like, a change from the outside in, right? You kind of force him to act better, and then he'll sort of, that will permeate his soul somehow. Mm-hmm. Uh, Eleanor gives out apparently these weekly awards. Um, Humanity Savior of the Week goes to Jason for, it seems like he was like a big part of the ski trip. Like there's something John says about him leading them on meditation, which I was like, is he talking as Jianyu? Or is he leading them on a meditation silently? Probably a silent meditation. (laughs) Let's be honest. (laughs) And, uh, then Eleanor says, hottest savior of the week. And, you know, uh, Tahani, like, kind of leans forward. But Eleanor gives it to herself. And in the frame story, Michael says something about how rigged the yes. <laughs> completely rigged hotness contest. <laughs> then everything uh, goes to shirt because Brent writes a book, which, okay, 
we're going to say a lot of things about this book, but it is kind of impressive that he wrote a book. Yes, it is. And I will, in the discussion section, I have pointed out another uh, sitcom that I love that has a character who writes a terrible book. And it's not terrible in a racist and misogynistic way. It is just terrible in a, like, writing way. Like, it's just very poorly written. Like brown, like the brownest crayon. Yes. But... His friends are like, you know what, buddy? You finished it, and we're proud of you. Like, it's sort of that thing. So, yeah, it is pretty impressive to write a whole book. I mean, it's a long book, too, and he's only been there for six months. Like, he's done a lot of terrible things, but I just want to get out ahead of this a little bit. And I realize this is maybe not the best foot to start off on, because Brent is obviously kind of sexist and racist. Yeah. Like, very sexist and racist. But there is... I think that the whole like project to change him, the fact that he actually did work to create something on his own for what seems like the first time in his existence, like I think it's kind of proof that something is working because like he never did anything for himself when he was on Earth, right? Like he inherited his company, he inherited, you know, basically a slot to go to Princeton. He just he never he never had to like chart his own course and now he actually you know he kind of did something that he always wanted to do and it's a little bit like okay man like you're on the right path and then it's like oh it's all (laughs) it's all it's all a nightmare how interesting i know we're veering into the discussion a little bit but like how interesting if that would have been part of the the discourse around this book and his character growth is like you know I'm trying to do something for myself for the first time. And like, I I think he gets very defensive about it. And he's like, I did something amazing. I wrote a book. Like you all are just ungrateful and you don't understand genius when you see it or whatever. But to have somebody like to have had one of the characters, like one of our point of view characters point out that like this, you're exactly your point. Like this is character growth for, this is growth for him because he did something on his own and it, it's a lot of work to write a book. I think that, I think I would have appreciated that. Mm. Yeah, I mean, maybe it comes up next week, but yeah, it does seem like a bit of an oversight. Yeah. Anyway. So the book is called Six Feet Under Par, A Chip Driver Mystery, which <laughs> is a spy thriller slash erotic memoir ooh, slash golf tutorial. And like a few other things, there was like, he says it's a... There's some geopolitical just, stuff in there for sure. Yeah, a commentary on society or something, which like, ugh, but, you know. <laughs> so he, like, is like, hey, I wrote this book, and here's your copy for you to review, and you guys are going to say, like, great things about me at my book launch party. Okay, bye, thank you, you know, it's a great book. So Simone is kind of, is really ragging on the book, you know, in Tahani's direction, and Tahani's like... You know, Tahani in her role as, like, Secret Soul Squad, right? It's like, yeah. yeah, maybe we should, like, dial this down a little bit. And Simone's like, hey, check out the love interest for the main character, whose name is Scarlet Pakistan. Oh, good lord. <laughs> uh, oh, my god. So... It's just the look on Tahani's face. Yes. <laughs> Michael is talking to Eleanor in the architect's office and is saying, you know, about 
of all of the twosomes in the in the real humans, like the Brent Simone twosome is the hardest because. Uh, as Michael says, she tends to make snap judgments about people, and he's a guy who repeatedly confirms her snap judgments. Yeah. For real. And I was like, oh, Simone, you and me both. <laughs> so, you know, he's really into the idea of, like, getting Simone to see the good in Brent, which is is a tough road to hoe, I think. <laughs> in, yeah. Under the best of circumstances. Yeah. Yep, yep, yep. So I think Chidi is also like, yeah, I'm not really interested in this. And then Simone's like, hey, check this out. And he sees there's a character in the book called Four-Eyed Igby, <laughs> who is a coward who never does anything cool. And and Chidi's like, oh, like, come on. And Jason says, you know, he basically says, like, hey, I want you to help me be spontaneous for once. Like, Think of five ideas to be spontaneous and I'll narrow it down over the next few weeks and we'll pick one. And Jason's like, no, man, just come up and, and dance. And Jason puts on uh, his own music that he recorded before he died while he was being chased by a police car, which is why there's police sirens in it. Which I loved. What a <laughs> fun detail. They're getting up and dancing to it. And then John kind of walks in. And so he discovers, because Jason is like yelling at the top of his lungs about like, I recorded this in the bed of the police car. So John, you know, now learns that John Yu is actually Jason. Yeah. And so like a minor plot thread in this episode is making sure that John doesn't tell anybody. Because like Chidi does, for Chidi, the stakes are still very high about John Yu slash Jason's identity, right? The, that as far as Chidi knows, Eleanor thinks that he's Xianyu and will kick him out of heaven if he's actually yeah. Jason. So, you know, for Chidi, this is like very high stakes. Like he's like begging John to keep this secret. And of course, it's really hard for John, right? Like yes. that was his whole job when he was alive was telling secrets. Goss. Hot goss. <laughs> so we cut to the frame story and Bad Janet is like, blah, 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 people suck. And Michael's like, no, like people are people and they're complicated and jenna says i know everything i know everything you know they're you know what's happening on earth right now wars murder women in 400 hundred dollar yoga pants refusing to vaccinate their children and i was like oh no i Has am she, bad janet hashtag like, I am i'm Spartacus. with bad janet <laughs> i can't like she's correct yeah. but she's also wrong right i mean I, she, well, I think we're supposed to read her as having a point for sure. Mm-hmm. But also that at the end of the day, the question is, you know, so for bad Janet, that means, you know, these people are do bad things. They're wrong. But then you have to follow that to its logical conclusion. Does that mean ipso facto every human being deserves an eternity of torture? Right. Obviously not. Like, I don't believe that there is anything that you can do as a mortal as a mortal to deserve an eternity of torture. And like, it's not clear to me that, you know, bad, bad Janet for her, her sort of jaundiced lens on humanity. Like she might be, she might be amenable to the idea that like, actually they shouldn't get a Turner tortured for all eternity. Maybe. I don't know. We'll see. Well, we'll see. I mean, cutting to the end a little bit, but we'll see what happens. Yeah. So, you know, we cut back to Chidi and John and Jason, and in exchange for John not telling anybody about Jason, Jason agrees to teach John the whole magic mic dance. <laughs> like the body roll and everything. <laughs> yeah. It's like, oh, okay. 
So now Simone and Tahani have just full on started like what you and I do with the fighting temptations they have now started doing with uh, Six Feet Under Par. Just reading terrible parts to each other. And Eleanor kind of wanders by and is like, hey, guys, maybe we could like ease up on this a little bit. And this was just the most like this whole scene is like, oh, God, it's like (laughs) these are the real questions, right? (laughs) Like Simone says, no, I'm not just going to roll with this. And why do I still have to put up with this shirt in the good place? Why do I Mm -hmm. still have to put up with racism and sexism when I'm supposed to be in heaven? I'm tired of being the bigger person. And it's like, oh, snap. Yeah, I mean, and this this goes a lot to, like, I think about the episode where they decide to do the experiment in the first place. I think it's the time knife episode where they're all sitting around a conference table with Sean and Judge Jen and everybody. And they bring up the fact that, like, part of the reason that some of them had trouble getting ahead in life or even just like being a good person while they were alive was because they did have to contend with these outside forces like racism and sexism and misogyny and all these things kind of like keeping them and, and, and poverty, right? Like all these things that keep them down, keep them oppressed that's part of the reason why some a lot of them struggled when they were on Earth. And Judge Jen also, when she visits Earth and blinks back, is like, oh, my God, like, turns out I'm a black lady and yes. that's a problem down there. Yeah. And so I think, you know, Simone's point here is really, really well taken, which is like, if this is paradise, why why do I, do we still have to deal with the things that kept us oppressed on Earth? Right. I mean, it's not just that. It's like, if if you're in heaven, it's not, it's not just about like, oh, this kept me from getting ahead. Like, it's, it's, it hurts your soul, right? right. Like, yeah. why should she have to be incurring soul damage in alleged heaven? Right. And, you know, this is a very real, you know, when we think about, okay, what do we want? And if we take for granted that there has to be an afterlife, and we also take for granted, as I would like us to, that nobody actually deserves eternal torture. Like, how do you make... So, you know, and I think our listener Susan, who had posited like a medium place for everybody, basically, Mm -hmm. you know, sort of like a... What's the Catholic word for it? Purgatory. Like a purgatory for people to kind of like learn, get better, and then eventually maybe you graduate to a good place or something, who knows? But like... It's a there's a very real question of like just because somebody has died and now is incorporeal or whatever it doesn't mean that that person is not going to be sexist or racist or whatever anymore. <laughs> like how do you how how do you 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 can't inflict that on other people or even I mean to a lesser degree just sort of general ashholery. Mhm. Like it's re- I guess a medium place, you should be expecting to deal with some ashholery, but, like, you really shouldn't have to deal with oppression, right? So how does a medium place work when there's just, like, real humans who make real mistakes in it? Yeah, I mean, and I think some of this... I mean, I, I, I think some of this also has to do with the fact that, like, in this version of the afterlife, right, they still have human forms, Right. And so 
there is something to the fact that like Brent, even as, or uh, this is um, Sean's example, right? He said, there's a reason I took the form of a 45 year old white man. I can only fail up. Right. Yes. And the fact that Brent in the afterlife still like looks like a late fifties white guy and wears like the puffer jacket with his like corporate logo on it. Like, you know, we've said that like Tahani's been able to improve because like there's no money in the afterlife. And so class is sort of stripped out of everything. Everybody's on the same plane in that regard, but you don't, it doesn't seem in this case, like gender or, um, or race, race gets stripped from you or age or age. That's correct. Um, yeah. Um, bad Janet has a really great zinger about baby boomers in this episode. Yeah, she does. And so I think that's, I mean, like maybe, uh, one of the answers is like, we all lose all of those identifying characteristics in the afterlife so that, you know, <sighs> I don't know that that, solves anything really i think honestly you would need to have some sort of not torture but some sort of like okay this is an angelic like an angelic realization that we're just beaming into your skull right (laughs) like hey you can't do any of this stuff anymore it's not okay but that kind of well, defeats they tried the, that, right? It, it defeats the point of this show, which is all about learning to be better kind of by dribs and drabs. Right. And they try that here. They try to tell him like, yo, you can't do this anymore. And he gets really defensive about it. No, I mean, like literally you're strapped in a chair and someone points a magical beam of light at your forehead, like <laughs> overdrawn at the <laughs> memory bank. <laughs> and it just I gets beamed directly into your skull. <laughs> Yeah, I mean, uh, I don't know. Let's keep going, and then maybe yeah. we can circle back. So Eleanor's like, says to, you know, because Simone is like, why should I have to put up with this stuff? And Eleanor's like, let me go consult the sources of wisdom, okay, bye, and like runs away, which right, I understand. The And the other piece of this that I think complicates it even more for Eleanor and for Michael is that Eleanor is not trying to keep the peace because that's her natural inclination. She's trying to keep the peace and she's trying to make sure that everybody like stays friendly because she thinks that's gonna like make a difference in their point total and she's being judged and they have no idea that's going on. So when she's asking them to like behave around Brent and like see their way to forgiving him, it's not it's not fundamentally because she's trying to like make them into better people or that or she sees or she doesn't see that they have a point it is just so that she can kind of skate through this what she's considering like a speed bump they can kind of get over it and there won't be any incidents right i mean and so i think that's even what makes this even harder right and and there's not She's got one shot for one year with one small group of humans. And it's like, what else is she supposed to do? And the deck is really stacked against her in so many other ways that, you know, she, they've had a lot to deal with. And I think she's just, she's like white knuckling it through the next six months, trying to be like, all right, if we could just get through this, that'd be great. And then Brent has to go and write. Write a book. (laughs) Yeah. Write this particular book. 
So Michael finds Brent on the golf course and Brent is like acing all of his shots. And then Michael's like, hey, you're supposed to be a good golfer. Like, let's turn the assistance filter off. Okay. And turns it off. And Brent like completely whiffs it. And he's like, oh, you sneezed. You sneezed. And Michael's like, no, I didn't. And Brent's like, you sneezed. And Michael's like, I'm literally incapable of sneezing. Yeah. So I did not sneeze. Like, Brent, it's okay to miss a shot sometimes. Okay. Like. It happens, and you, all you have to do is, like, try again, you know? And you might want to think to apply that axiom to other parts of your life. And then we cut to the frame story in which Bad Janet says, Brianna, please. You thought that Ding Dong would do a personality 180 because of one gentle metaphor? <laughs> which I was like, oh, I'm with Bad Janet again! Me too. Darcy Dang it. brought it in this episode. She was so good. <laughs> So now we're at Brent's book signing, which is the the climax, the dark climax of this episode. Woo! Get ready, y'all. Yeah. So John and Chidi, you know, the, the very minor thread of this, you know, Chidi is like, thank you for not spilling the beans about Jason. And, you know, he says, on the one hand, like, Tahani made me realize that, you know, my gossip spreading was sort of a form of insecurity, like an expression of my insecurity while I was on Earth. But on the other hand, my favorite philosopher, Bethany Frankel. Which... Had me rolling. <laughs> Would want him to mention it all. I don't know anything. This is a Real Housewives thing. So, uh, I, you're welcome. I included the link to the... I did not alter- click. You should. The altercation <laughs> in which Bethany says to Ramona, mention it all. And uh, <laughs> listeners, I'm not proud of this. <laughs> But I th- I thought I was doing some investigatory journalism by including that link. And your girl has spent the last, like, two days on YouTube just watching Real Housewives clips. <laughs> with, with philosopher Bethany Frankel. <laughs> it's rough. Ooh, it's that's r- bleak, Brianna. It's rough Speaking out here. of bleak, is it bleaker than My Bradley Woodford's working? So no, it's not now. that bleak. No, it's not that bleak. <laughs> it was hilarious. It was so funny. Ugh. I mean, Real Housewives is just... I think that's one of the things I appreciate about John's character specifically is that he brings a, a level of sort of, like, pop culture literacy to... Like, Tahani has the same thing because she name drops all the time. I feel but, like Eleanor would know who Bethany Frankel was. She definitely would because her favorite book was one of the Kardashians or the Kylie oh, right. Jenner's Instagram. <laughs> um, but when, but I think when it's, it's a nice foil for him to be talking to Chidi because Chidi is like, so that's so not his world. And Such John, nerd. my nerdy husband, Chidi. Yeah. And John to say that John's like, this comes up because Chidi says like, Oh, remember what my favorite philosopher, Emmanuel, uh, Emmanuel Kant would say, and he's like, but my favorite philosopher, Bethany Frankel, would say I have a duty to mention it all. And something about, like, if you don't love me at my, if you don't love me at my worst, then you don't deserve me or something. I forget. At but, my best. Yes, I've, I've heard that quote before. Yeah. I'm done talking about Real Housewives. But in, in any case, the minor thread <laughs> is wrapped up. John's not going to tell about Jason. Thank you, John. Let's get to the actual meat of this, which is that. Eleanor and Simone, you know, Eleanor's like, sorry, it took me so long to get back to you. It took a long time to re-roll the ancient knowledge scrolls. But, like, could you just, like, take it easy with him? And Simone's like, yeah, no, I'm going to tell him exactly what I think. And Eleanor's like, no, don't. 
So Brent, you know, is talking to Simone and Tahani being like, okay, you know, ladies, like it's time for you to introduce me, like about how like my book was the greatest thing ever, right? Like he's like, hit me with the complos. <laughs> well, and they're and, both And part of what she says is like, I understand that you're trying to make a point with Brent, but like maybe there's a subtler way to do it. So that's they get sort of teed up for this like subtler way to tell him that his book was hot garbage. <laughs> so they start by being like Okay, like, well, you know, it's just amazing that you just wrote a book or whatever. And he's like, but it's like the best book ever. And Simone cracks pretty fast. Yeah. And says, like, actually, no, it's not. And it's very obvious that the Scarlet Pakistan character is based on Tahani and it's super racist and creepy. Yeah. Michael's like, Brent, remember what we talked about? About how sometimes, you know, you make a mistake while you're golfing and it's okay. You just own up to whatever. And Brent's like, no. The PC police here want to shut down my book, uh, my book event. And so it's canceled because of these mean women. (laughs) I heard an interview with Kirby Hall Baptiste uh, where she says that the guy who plays Brent in real life is like the nicest guy in the world. And so, yeah, I mean, I think to play that character, you basically have to be right. If if you identify with him at all, you're not going to play him. That's right. Yeah. Um, and But she says it's like kind of a mind fork to like be with him in a scene and have him be like that. And then outside of the scene be like totally genial and lovely. Yeah. It's like it's a detox after you yeah. play the character. Yeah. Just like light some candles or something. So in the architect's office, Eleanor and Michael are kind of discussing it. And Eleanor's like, okay, I, I think Simone is right. Like, I think that Brent really crossed a line here and... You know, he's the one who needs to change, so I, I'm kind of on board with being less subtle. And Michael's like, okay. So Michael goes and finds Brent on the golf course again. He has a Princeton Tigers golf club cover. <laughs> and he says, Brent, you know, you should really apologize. Like, you should really think about what you did and apologize. And Brent's like, okay, like, I'll be the bigger man. And I actually thought for a minute, like, okay. He's going to be the bigger man. Like, he doesn't really fully believe he needs to apologize, but he's going to sack up and do it. And like, hooray, we've... we've <laughs> Sorry. What? Every, every time you say sack up. <laughs> Is that not, isn't that not a normal thing to say? I mean, yes, but I just... We're, we're so... We're normally so careful about the language that we use. <laughs> I think the children in the audience are not going to really cotton on to no, exactly what fair. I am talking about. Yeah. So Brent says he'll be the bigger man and he'll apologize. And I was actually hopeful here, which I should not have been. So Chidi and Simone are kind of discussing like, how how can we deal with Brent? And Chidi's like, maybe, you know, this book or that book would get through to him. And Simone is like, why, why is it our job to like handle him? I identify with that so yeah. much. And like the, the, the truth is like, uh, you know, Simone, in the real good place, it would not be your job. No. <laughs> it's no. just that you're not actually in the real good place, and it happens to be your job. I'm sorry. Yeah. I'm very sorry. Yeah. But she's just like, why is it my job? Like, why why is it my job to handhold him through, like, the basics of human decency? Like, I'm done. I'm done with that. Yeah. So Brent comes back to all the humans and Eleanor and Michael. I guess Eleanor is a human. At, and sort of is like, okay. I'm very sorry if you were offended. And Simone's like, no, don't waste our time. Like, either apologize or don't apologize. Don't give us that, like, non-apology or whatever. And then he says something even worse. Like, 
you know, I'm, you know, <laughs> I don't even remember. It, it was, was so... it was something like, you know, everything I did, which was totally okay. <laughs> I'm sorry if it, I'm sorry if it offended If you thought you. it was okay, if you thought it wasn't okay, even though it totally was. Like yeah, something, something like that. awful like that. Yeah, 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 yeah. And Tahani's just like, no, absolutely not. Like, this is, you, your book was tripe and like, you know, how dare you or whatever. And then Brent calls Simone a condescending bench. And uh, Chidi hauls off and slugs him. But there's a, there's, yes, he does. But there's a bit in the middle where he's like, okay, don't talk to her like that. Maybe I can yes. summon a book that can help us. And he gets, um... Brent gets hit by a book by Chidi's book. A flying summoned book. And he's like, oh, you're assaulting me. Like, it's just, this whole thing was so uncomfortably close to real discourse (laughs) in 2019. Yeah. That it was, like, hard to watch. But Brent shoves Chidi Mm. and then Chidi. I think it's important to note that Chidi doesn't just, like, pop off on him. Like, okay. He shoves Chidi, and then Chidi responds by really clocking him. Like, you know. Well, remember, if you remember Chidi's physique from I mean, when he loses his mind, he how is. How can we not? How can he we not remember is it? Swole. He is. <laughs> oh my gosh. So, in the frame story, Bad Janet is like, is she? She gets this. I mean, to call Brent a baby boomer is that even technically correct? He's in his late 50s. I don't actually think so. Yeah, I think he's like very old Gen X, but who knows? Anyway, she makes one of baby boomers. Yeah. And then Janet's like, you know, is that the end of the story? Like what? What? And Michael's like, no, the end of the story happened today. And we see in the architect's office, like the soul squad kind of sitting around, like trying to brainstorm. Okay, what are we going to do with Brent next? Like, how are we going to kind of shepherd him? To being a good person. Like, what are we going to do next? And Michael's like, that's the end. Like, that's where I left them to come say hi to you or whatever. And Janet's like, uh, okay. And Michael says, what matters isn't that people are good or bad. What matters is, are they trying to be better today than they were yesterday? And then all the walls of her little prison disappear. And she's like, what's going on? He's like, this is me trying to be a better person today than I was yesterday. You know, it's not... I thought that if I could keep you in this void, then maybe I could talk you around to being on our side, but it's not going to happen, obviously. So, and it's not ethical for me to marbleize you. So just go, just get out of here. And he gives her this book that he's been holding since the beginning. And she's like, is this a chip driver? Is this the six feet under par? Like, this is going to be great. She would love it. (laughs) Yeah. She's like, I'm going to use this to torture people. And he said, no, this is my and Janet's manifesto about sort of the worth of the human soul or whatever. And she's like, oh, great. And he's like, okay, you know, take it or don't. But she does take it. And that is the end of the episode. Yeah. So are you going to get us started on discussion? Sure. <laughs> so Alan Steppenwalt, Rolling Stone. I'll, I'll get this, like, cute little fun thing out of the way before we dive into, like, why do we have to deal with sexism and racism and you know, blah, blah, and do we, is it our duty to, like, educate people into being better? I'll save that for, for the next chunk, but at, uh, Alan Steppenwalt, Rolling Stone, uh, Stone calls Six Feet Under Par the book equivalent of Michael Scott's Threat Level Midnight. (laughs) (laughs) Um, 
And I mentioned this at the top, but I actually think it's a lot like Z is for Zombie, which is from New Girl, where Nick, who's like this really like crotchety underachiever character, he eventually becomes a, a famous published author. Spoiler alert for a, a show that's been off the air for a couple of years now. But um, <laughs> Z is for Zombie is his first attempt at writing a novel. And it's a murder mystery. So it's the same kind of like he's got a detective character. But his problem is that like all of the people in it are already dead. <laughs> and so like how do you... But uh, there's an episode, and I linked to it in our notes, and maybe we can tweet it out or something, but there's an episode where um, he finally finishes the book and, like, his first draft of the manuscript, and one of his roommates reads it out loud to the rest of the roommates, and the writing is as bad as a chip driver mystery is but again without the racism and sexism and all that stuff it's just like terribly like terrible grammar and terrible pacing and like he can't spell the word rhythm and all this other stuff (laughs) um but it's just like a minute of just you know like somebody reading out loud dramatically from this like terrible terrible zombie novel but his roommates are all like you know what you finished it and we're proud of you because like that's an accomplishment in and of itself <laughs> and so Which I, it is it i is. agree as someone who has tried to write many stories and a lot of them are as someone who has dust. refused to illustrate my amazing dc universe comic idea yeah you know why because somebody already did it and it's called the runaways <laughs> No, it's not. That's not the same story at all. I don't even like that guy in this car. <laughs> what? <laughs> I don't like the ending of The Runaways. Spoiler alert for The Runaways. I'm thinking of the right one, right? Yes. I don't like the ending of that. Okay. I don't like who the bad guy turns out to be. It's upsetting. Well, anyway. Um, I haven't... We'll save this for our comic book podcast. Yes. <laughs> But yeah, I mean, it's it's all like, it's much more, uh, for those of you who watch New Girl, like, there is a sense for this character that like, he is an un- he has not achieved anything in his life up until that point. And so for him to finish a, a manuscript, even though it's terrible, is an achievement. And I, I like kind of that, uh, connecting that to what you were saying earlier about the fact that like, you know, Brent gets really defensive during that, like, terribly awkward and uncomfortable standoff at the book party. But I, you know, there is a part of me that's like, it's very hard to take criticism as a creative person, even if, you know, you have to be willing to listen to that criticism and and be open-minded about it, um, especially if it's coming from people who are trying to, to... educate and inform you on things that are not your lived experience but i you know i think there is something here there might have been something in his defensiveness which was like i accomplished something and why can't you just be proud of me for accomplishing something because at the beginning of the episode they were becoming chummy and i think he was surprised at even his connection his his perceived connection with simone right like they were coming back from that from the ski trip and he and Simone kind of had like some little banter and you're like, oh, they're actually getting along. That is really surprising. And then it all kind of falls apart. Yeah, I mean, but uh, the the core conflict of the episode is like, why should Simone have to 
eat dirt again, you know, for however many times, however many times it happened over the course of her life. Now add how many times it's happened with Brent since she died. Totally. Like, like why should she have to, you know, be the, be on the receiving end of that stuff yet again. And it's like, ideally somebody who wasn't directly affected, like ideally Michael honestly would have taken a firmer hand. Right. Yeah. Like, Instead of talking about metaphors and gently asking that he, you know, whatever, that, you know, that Michael say really frankly to Brent, like, look, your book obviously hurt the feelings of the people around you. And like, you're going to need to think kind of hard about why that is. And until you've done that thinking, like, maybe leave them alone. <laughs> right. And you don't get a, I, I think you're right. Cause he, he sort of sidled up to the subject. He didn't face it head on. Michael didn't face it head on when talking to him. And, you know, it's bad Janet's jab about like one gentle metaphor is not going to change this guy's mind. You know, bad Janet had this, had this, uh, what turned out to be bad advice for John, but like, you know, John was not a shrinking violet when he was alive and, you know, see if you can kind of face this head on. Tahani did a really good job of saying outrightly to John in a previous episode, your blog hurt people. And John got defensive, but it it started then from there, they were able to like reconcile and have, you know, start the beginning of a friendship by recognizing like, okay, you know, we both had to deal with things on earth and and can't we kind of like he realizes rather that like his blog did hurt people. It's just that he gets defensive about it because of where he's, he's come from and what his lived experience is. Ideally, Michael would have, to your point, done the same thing here and, and done it much more head on because I, I think Brent is such a big personality and such a strong personality that, you know, being kind about it doesn't really do it. And, you know, there's something to be said for the fact that Michael is the only... Now, John is also a is also a white man in this scenario, but obviously his life has been sort of lived through the lens of, uh, you know, queer oppression. I, maybe you could argue that John could have stepped in and been like, assuming that there was... They don't mention any homophobia in this book. So let's just kind of assume it's not in there. I guess. I mean, you could have maybe said that John could have stepped in and been like, look, this is sexist. This is racist. Like, we can't behave like this. But the, I think there's a power differential between Brent and John that I really agree. makes that kind of untenable. Like, it kind of has to be Michael in this yeah. scenario. I mean, it could have been Eleanor, I suppose. You know, they believe that Eleanor is the most powerful being there. And so Eleanor could have called Brent up on the carpet and been like, look, this is not acceptable, and and here's some information about why it isn't, and I understand that your feelings are hurt because this is something very personal to you. But, you know, it's similar, like, similarly, it's very personal to the, to the women who have been affected by it, and so, like, I just want to walk through this with you. But she's so kind of, she's so fixated on this idea of the humans making each other better that I don't think she wants to step into that degree. Yeah, and that brings me to another point, which is towards at the end of the episode, when they're strategizing about what to do next, they do have a moment where they sit there and she goes, okay, this is really bad. Everybody definitely lost a lot of points. And like, I don't know how we're going to recover from this. 
I fundamentally have an issue, have a problem with the assumption that all of the humans lost points over this. Hmm. Because I don't think that Simone or, I mean, Tahani's not in the experiment, but Chidi. I don't think that Simone or Chidi... You don't think Chidi lost a point for throwing a punch? Okay. Maybe, yeah, maybe that. Because I don't think physical violence is, like, great, obviously. But I don't think... Okay, so let's just focus on Simone, because John wasn't really a part of this altercation. Uh, I don't think Simone should have lost any points about uh, by calling out Brent's behavior, even if she was really blunt about it, even if she kind of got in his face about it. I don't think she should have lost any points because she was morally in the right in this situation. And you can't be you can't be polite all the time. I mean, to her point about like, I had to swallow this so much while I was on Earth. Why should I have to do that in in the afterlife? Like at a certain point. You cannot be polite because the people that you are up against who are racist and sexist and let's assume homophobic and ageist or whatever else you want to say, they are not being polite. They are expecting everybody to, I mean, okay, let's just focus on Brent in this situation. Brent is expecting everybody to shower him with compliments and he does not want to hear that he has done anything wrong that he has done. You know, he says, I don't have a racist or sexist bone in my body. And how many, <sighs> how many times have we heard that from people who are truly God awful, right? So you can't always, and this is something that I deal with, like, and we all deal with in like our normal lives, but you can't always muster it within yourself to be polite to that person when you are calling out and nor nor is it always appropriate for the situation like a right pr- politeness is not the greatest good exactly that's ex- thank you for yes i'm i'm rambling that was the best more succinct way of putting it and i think about you know from season one when eleanor is trying to improve and tahani says like one of the things you can do to get into the good places change the hearts and minds of a nation like <laughs> I, so I forgot that they found all the point values. Yeah, and so, but the people. Let's say that 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 this point system is accurate and changing the hearts of them and minds of a nation gets you a certain amount of points and gets you at least closer to the good place, right? How many times do people who are trying to actually legitimately change the hearts and minds of a nation get told that they need to be more civil, right? Yeah, and so I don't think. And so, like, but we wouldn't have had all of these movements if everybody had been civil about it. There's, there are times to be polite. There are times to be civil. There are also times to get in the street and yell at people and say, like, this is not okay. And so I personally think that it's, I have an issue with the idea that Simone would have lost points in this situation when it was really Brent who should bear the brunt of of the point losing. And I know that they are, I'm assuming they're judged as a group. And so that doesn't necessarily help. Oh, okay. I, Eleanor. Maybe, okay. Maybe, maybe that's what Eleanor meant. I mean, I would maybe. have actually expected that they were sort of judged individually. I mean, but that's, that's a good question. Like we don't know that about the experiment. Is this a, you know, judge Jen's experiment for all of them was pass fail and they chose to do pass fail together. And hers was, her initial thing was like pass fail individually when they were thinking of, or when they were trying to get judged to go into the good place. But we don't know about this experiment, do we? Whether or not they're judged individually, because the, I don't remember that being said. The only way we've ever heard about it is like 
these four humans are going to determine whether or not like humanity gets tortured for all eternity. There's not this differentiation between, well, if Simone improves and Brent doesn't, what does that mean? Or if Cheedy improves, but, you know, John doesn't, then what does that mean? And so I... So I would say, look, as far as Simone losing points goes, I think her behavior towards the latter half of the episode, where she rightfully says, this is sexist, racist garbage, I don't think that's losing her any points. But you could make a case that, you know, doing the MST3K thing with Tahani is sort of needlessly unkind. And, And look, I don't believe in an afterlife. I don't believe in anybody who's keeping points on me, but... I think that that behavior is, first of all, 100% something I would do. Yes, totally. And secondly, also not something that is going to win you any points and might lose you points because it's not, look, her standing up and saying, this is wrong, this is sexist, this is racist, I'm not going to sit here and listen to your garbage book, is like, that's speaking truth to power, that's, you know, that's standing up for what's right. Uh, snarking about it with your friend in the in a you know an outdoor cafe in the middle of the day and giggling and passing it back and forth and talking about the worst parts when your the author is like a friend of yours. Uh, I'll take that. I can see that. I can see that. So yeah, I think they probably all lost points except John, who again like he did nothing this episode <laughs> except except you know be a a better angel of his own nature. And but even he had a moment where he was like couldn't help but gossip and so he's like you know who wears shorts all the time it's dumb shorts kathy i thought that was so funny yeah i mean john's the only one who i mean john did improve right he yeah markedly and he and maybe that's like the only one i know and maybe that is i mean to our conversation a bit earlier about how somebody kind of getting in his face and saying what you did was hurtful and his initial defensive reaction he was able to come back around to that and say, you know what, you're right. We didn't get to that in this episode, but it's possible that kind of growth might be coming. I uh, For Brent, I don't know because he It would seems, have to be written really well. He just seems, he just seems so irredeemable. I mean, to call, like when he called Simone a condescending bench, like all of the air just came out of the room. It was like, it, it was just, you could- feel the tension which means that everybody on screen was doing a wonderful acting job yes but yeah it was very very uncomfortably real (sighs) uh we have an itunes review do you want to read it yes we also Uh, really quick had an email from susan where she wanted to point out that the drink that they're drinking at um brent's book launch is an arnold palmer (laughs) right which is pretty great (laughs) Okay, you want to read the iTunes review? Can I, before I read the iTunes review, can yes. I just say, I really enjoy golf. It really... <laughs> That's hurts. true, you do, you do. It, it really hurts my heart, and our father loves golf. Uh, and it really hurts my heart that golf in this universe is associated with an irredeemable asshole character. I'm just like, no, I also like golfing too... I'm sorry. It's kind of a shorthand, though, for, like, privileged white clueless male, right? It is. is. Unfortunately. I mean, I think there's a reason that golf has that reputation. 
And mm-hmm. 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 I've certainly heard golf courses described as a kick directly to Mother Earth's you-know-what. So, Ooh. like, I get it. <laughs> but on the other yeah. hand, yeah, not hashtag not all golfers. <laughs> um, and I also just did, real quick, wanted to point out that Marissa, you said last time that, you know, and we mentioned it again today, the idea of, like, uh, the afterlife being a purgatory that if your soul really is irredeemable, you just get sort of, like, sent off into nothingness. You don't get tortured for eternity. I actually thought that Michael letting bad Janet go reminded me of that kind of thing, right? Well, I can't I can't turn you over to our side. I can't turn you over to the good side, but it's... It's uh, unethical for me to just keep you locked up in here and torture you. So I'm going to let you go. So maybe we are getting closer to that. Maybe. Okay. iTunes review time. Uh, This is from Ash for the past. Quote, so hi. I decided that I'd write the review while listening because I know you guys always ask for reviews and like it. We do like it very much. Aww. Ash says, thanks for continuing this podcast. It's literally the only podcast I listen to. How is that? How? I mean, how? (laughs) And the only podcast worth listening to for The Good Place. I can't. How would you know that if you haven't listened to it? I mean, I love you, bro or sis, but how would you know that if you don't listen to any of the other ones? Well, they say, I can't really get through the official podcast. Interesting. I wonder why that is. I've never tried because it feels like a stab wound to my heart. But, I've listened uh, to it. It's very good. But they are, you know, I, I think it's just a different... They're not... I think because they are they can't talk about anything that's vaguely spoilery. Mm. So their conversations about plot are a little limited. Um, but... Ash says, so yes, I really appreciate this podcast and listening to what you have to say about The Good Place. Keep it up. Thank you, Ash, for the past. Okay, I'm going to read the next two episode titles, which I believe takes us to the end of the calendar year. Oh my goodness (laughs) If anyone has anything they want us to cover for uh, half of November and all of December and probably part of January, I mean, we will be doing Star Wars at some point in December. We'll also, in 2022, be doing the next Spider-Man Spider-Verse movie. I mean, this podcast, I'm assuming that we're not doing another show after The Good Place, though. Who knows? But could you imagine we just, like, jump back on in 2022 for one very special episode? I am so forking excited for the next Spider-Verse movie. Oh, my gosh. But if you guys have anything to help us fill the void, so to speak, between now and the second half of season four, that would be great. Oh, my gosh. So... Next week is has a very fun title called Help is Other People. <laughs> That's very funny. The synopsis is on the last day of the experiment. Oh boy. Cheaty is We're faced halfway w- through and it's the last day of the experiment. <laughs> yep. Oh god. On the final on the last day of the experiment, Cheaty is faced with one final ethical dilemma. Ooh, I heard this was a Chelinor episode. Oh, really? Yeah. Who who, heard from who? Do you have a hookup on the inside? I I, I saw it on the Twitters. Uh, From whom? What? From fans. I don't know. So maybe it's, I hope this is a Chelinor episode. (laughs) (laughs) That would be amazing. I miss my Chelinor. Yeah, we all do. 
We haven't even gotten like a flashback. Like, give me a give me a flashback, guys. Ugh. It's fan fiction all day, I guess. <laughs> <laughs> Archive of our own dot org. Anyway, and then November fourteenth, it's uh, episode eight. It's called "The Funeral to End All Funerals," <laughs> which doesn't sound great. I wish you could and, see my face. <laughs> and the synopsis is: the group awaits the judge's final decision on the fate of human existence. <laughs> Um, that's the mid-season break. That's the mid-season break. (laughs) (sighs) Michael, sure, come on. You know, we've said it before, and I'm sure we'll say it again, but like, I cannot predict, you know, every time I think I'm like, oh, like, what are we doing? How long can they keep this up? They just do a complete 180 and, you know, discover depths that were as yet unknown to us. So, who knows? Who knows? Okay, well, until next time, everyone, don't forget, it's golf (laughs) o'clock. We'll see you next time, Ding Dongs. Whoa, your your audio just got weird again. Can you talk again? Hi. Wow. What? 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 Wow. Hold on. You're all of a sudden like super echoey. What if I do this? Wow. What is happening? I don't know. I'm not. I'm literally not doing anything different than anything I've ever done. That's really okay. That's so weird. Well, I hope it comes out in the wash. Um, okay.